Today on Observations, it's all about the cartoons. It's all about the classic Saturday morning tradition of consuming all of those cool shows that were made just for us. It's a time-honored tradition that spans generations. It touches super friends to the X-Men of the 90s, to the Clone Wars of the early 2000s. You know you've been that kid with that bowl of cereal consuming that Saturday morning television cartoon show what happened to them what's replaced it what's the new saturday morning fix well i've got the answers come along with me for this ride as we go through all of your favorites that aired on saturday mornings when you were a kid hey everybody this is rob leifeld and you are listening to another edition of Observations. today we are Going to jump right in with a uh, really time-tested, mass audience-approved practice of Saturday morning cartoons. The the, the time-honored tradition of Saturday morning cartoons. For me, before you go, oh man, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm turning this. This is not one I can listen to. Here's the deal. For me, it goes 19... 74, 75 to 1992, 93, 94. That is the heyday. I stayed with this practice maybe longer than any adult man should. But as we are going to discuss, uh, you know, I had to. It was it was not it was not a choice any longer. Especially, you know, when we get to the X Men cartoon launching in October of 1992. Not only is it 30 years of like Image Comics, which I keep banging that drum. It's so exciting to me, but. 30 years of, of the X-Men animated series, which is, uh, is just a phenomenal, uh, achievement in, in that, that combined the, the, all of the comic book dynamics and all of the excitement that had been building in comic books and, and, uh, with, with Saturday morning cartoon dynamics and really X-Men 92, the launch of that series just uh, launched an entire fan base that I'm not sure if they even knew about the comics, but that cartoon drove them to toy shelves, to 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 uh, the toy aisles in so many different uh, big box stores. Target, Walmart at the time, uh, obviously the Toys R Us, KB Toys, the stuff we've discussed before, but but we're going to really examine that dynamic today and how I really believe it's necessary and how it helped shape so much. I have dwelled almost three seasons, we're in our third season now, 170 episodes on comic books and, and graphic novels, Independence, Marvel, DC, Image. I have not given nearly enough time to the evolution and the absolute, uh, I think, like I said, necessity of 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 the Saturday morning cartoon. And also, we're going to talk about what is, what has replaced the Saturday morning cartoon today. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're just going to jump to the end of that, conclu- the, the, to the to the 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 logical conclusion of of that uh, that proposal. And I'll tell you, I'm gonna I'm gonna dial it back a little, not too far though, because most of us now 
most of us, and, and the numbers bear out, the, the numbers bear out. And again, you're going to, when I talk about the X-Men cartoon, you're going to hear those producers talk about numbers. Why are audience and sales so important? Why do I bring them up all the time? Why is it always a subject? Because it's what keeps us doing what we're doing. We are allowed to do what we do if the eyeballs are there, if the eyeballs are flipping the pages or if the eyeballs are turning on the remote control. And I don't know about you guys, but uh, you know, for the longest time since they shifted about a year ago, I think it was with Loki, uh, the, the, the Disney Plus shows were released on Wednesday. No longer the Friday release that was accompanying WandaVision and Winter Soldier. It was a Wednesday release. And I know some people are like, hey, what's up with Wednesday? I'm going to, no one's told me why Wednesday, but the, 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 the prevailing notion is you get to get the word out. You watch it on Wednesday. There's articles all through Wednesday on every possible, uh, you know, website and, 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 uh, media outlet. Let's go comicbook.com. Let's go collider. Let's go slash film. Uh, you know, all of the ones that I'm blanking on right now, they're all, uh, you know, very much running stories all day long, uh, about different tidbits that went on in the Marvel show or what's going on right now is with the Star Wars shows. And so I don't know about you guys, but I am on the West Coast. I'm waking up now around 5, 5.30, especially because the Book of Boba Fett is in the end part of its season and everything is coming together and the the shows, the, the entire representation of the Star Wars universe has never been more exciting to me. And so here's the great thing. I knew I was going to talk about Saturday morning cartoons today. I did not, not know that it was going to tee up so perfectly as with my own experience with my kids. So you've, you've heard me mention my kids. I, I, you know, was, was hanging out talking to my youngest, uh, Chase, 19 years old, a couple days ago and telling him how much he and his brother and his sister have informed me uh, uh, in regards to pop culture and, and keeping, keeping my focus. And I even said, it's going to be a challenge these next 10 years to see if I can stay as focused given all of that they, you know, provided to me. And, you know, I'll go, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I was not going to do, uh, the, the really San Diego Comic-Con had lost its, uh, its speciality. It, it, I had fallen out of love with the San Diego Comic-Con right around 2008, 2009, which would put my son at nine, my youngest at seven, and my daughter at six. And they had been accompanying me to the show because it was fun to expose them, you know, especially given that my youngest at the time, Chase, was into like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon, and I knew the giant Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon uh, setups that they had on the floor in San Diego Comic-Con. And then my, you know, my oldest son, Luke, was really into Star Wars, Clone Wars, all that stuff. So it was a natural extension to, 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 to you know, that he'd go down Transformers and, and see all that stuff. Um, uh, so, so the thing is, getting them in the doors and showing them San Diego caused them to go crazy. And I've told this story a couple times, but it was that summer that we also went and had the best uh, vacation set up 2009 in uh, in Maui that we'd ever had as a family. Uh, we went to this killer resort. We, we were there like seven days. Just again, I cannot tell you how much I loved the resort, the experience, the beach, the snorkeling, 
the sun, the fun, the food. And so, you know, we get back, it's ready to go to school. We're talking about, we're waxing poetic about, you know, what was our favorite thing we did this summer? Was it the fair? Was it the Hawaii vacation in Maui? And all the kids, they're in my rearview mirror. You know, my wife, Joy, and I were in the front. We got our big Escalade. We're looking back. And the kids go, San Diego. And I was like, I almost drove the car off the, like, street. I was like, what? Wait, what? Like, you did not just tell me San Diego Comic Con. And they're like, oh, yeah, San Diego. And this memory and that. And doing this. And meeting this character. And getting these toys. And getting these exclusives. And swimming in the pool. And going. And you're like, wait. San Diego meant that much to you? And it did it. And and honestly, you know, cut to the last time we were able to attend San Diego. Um, uh, because so so I got <laughs> I got a lifetime achievement award in uh, 2011. Uh, and 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 uh, it's called uh, uh, San Diego gives them out, and I got my lifetime achievement award. And with that becomes a certain amount of passes that you get to allocate to your family and friends. Well. Let me tell you, I max out on those because my, um, and again, you, you get like a lifetime achievement award. Welcome to the club. It's like a platinum card for San Diego. So you learn something new. I've never discussed this. It, when I, when I got the, I got the award, it was great. Okay. The ink pot, it's the lifetime achievement award, you know, career in comic books, but with it, it comes with like a black card, like a black, you know, credit card. And, and in that letter, when you get that, when you get home a couple of weeks later, it outlines that you get to have a certain amount of guests and family and friends and that's all taking care of you for the rest of your life, okay? Pretty awesome. Ring the bell. Very cool. Well, in 2019, the last San Diego Comic-Con that we attended as a family because of that's all pre-pandemic and we didn't do the special edition, but we're planning on going back. My oldest son had seven friends and his girlfriend and my youngest had five friends and my daughter had three of her girlfriends and, you know, so nothing really changed from 2009 to 2019, a decade of me being re-engaged with San Diego through my kid's eyes, which obviously regained my own focus. And, uh, I mean, we never look back. And how this pertains uh, to, to, to the Saturday morning cartoons of all of it is, so it's around this time, you know, shortly after this period of time, 2009, is when... The, uh, right around the time that the Clone Wars cartoon comes on on Cartoon Network. And I think it's 2009 that the Clone Wars uh, animated movie, which is the launch of the entire animated franchise on Cartoon Network, that is released in theaters in August. And I knew my kids would love it because my both my boys, the first movie that I took them to was uh, the, the Revenge of the Sith in 2005. So, you know, I figured, hey, you know, this will be a great revisiting when they, when they check this out, um, you know, when, when we, when, when, when the Clone Wars movie was released and uh, it captured my son's imagination, my Luke, much more so than my youngest son. Luke just was so captured by the Clone Wars, which was a Saturday morning cartoon. It was on Cartoon Network on Saturday mornings and we would DVR it depending on if he was at a basketball game or had a football game, but it, I would always find myself with the big on the big pillows in the beanbag in 2009, 2010, 2011, because Luke was hooked on the Clone Wars. He was absolutely 
hooked on the Clone Wars. He was hooked on the Legos. He was hooked on the action figures. He was hooked on the video games. Every every aspect of Star Wars was um he was completely into it. You're like, well, of course, his name is Luke. Okay, look, I, what, what can I say? It, it was a self, you know, self-made prophecy. I named him Luke and, uh, and, and, and told him it was after the Luke in the Bible instead of the Luke in the Star Wars. And maybe you'll figure out which one of those answers is true. But bottom line, it took. He really, he really never missed it. He never missed an episode. He was so, it was his thing. The Clone Wars, Cartoon Network, you know, uh, DVR when uh you know they didn't finish that last season and it took a while to retool and then Disney put it back you know back on to uh, to 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 show everybody I think my son who is now 21 uh, was 18 or 19 and he made sure that we re-engaged or he had re-engaged he didn't really invite me along for the ride but he finished it off now of course it was no longer on Saturdays anymore and now it's a you know part of a streaming service um, and may, may, maybe they were dropping on Fridays or Saturdays. This is, you know, recent memory, but the original run of the Clone Wars was in fact a Saturday morning cartoon for his generation. And so this morning when I wake up and I watch the book of Boba Fett, there is a character. If you haven't seen it, I won't blow it, but a character walks into view and because I saw the Clone Wars with my son. I knew the minute that that very distant silhouette uh, hit hit the screen. And, you know, even on the biggest, largest screen, he is a minuscule figure as he first appears off way in the horizon. And the wind is obscuring the view of him, but you you know exactly what that hat pertains, that shape of that hat, that long, lanky figure. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if my son, who is now going to college... In Texas, I don't I don't know if he's seen it, if he's seen it yet. I'm on because I don't want to be spoiled. I don't want to, you know, be spoiled by the time I log on to my social media at 6 a.m. But so obviously, uh, so so then later in the day, of course, I get the call. My son, he's in between classes. Dad, did you see, you know, Book of Boba Fett, episode six? Oh my gosh, this, that, the other thing. And it is the Saturday mornings of his youth that is now connecting me with him. In my in my my fifties, I mean, I'm, I'm so so so. I sit here and I go. The Saturday morning uh, magic is still happening for entire generations, and maybe you are that guy that watched it in 2009, 2010, and now you're you know you know 10, 11 years older, and you're married, and you're having kids, and you're wondering what that connective tissue will be. And of course, you know, for me, being as I've said, a a, a first generation Star Wars kid. To have this go generations now in my own family is incredible. And before I came to podcast this evening, I did watch the same episode again with his brother because his brother said, hey, I hear, I see Luke tearing up Twitter talking about his love of, you know, this week's, you know, Boba Fett. So, hey, can we watch it? And I said, I think you're going to like it. And of course, he watched those with us from time to time, not as obsessively, but he knew the exact same character and said, is that that guy? And I'm like, that's that guy. This is the live action debut. So, so Saturday morning cartoons, uh, for a generation before my kids and before me, uh, really served to get us excited, excited. And it queued us up. And like I said, this ends with me discussing, uh, 
X-Men 92, which was, I think, a seminal animated event for an entire generation and really electrified everybody because of the way it it brought the comics, you know, on screen in this amazing, you know, animated endeavor. But for me, my obsession with comic books never took weekends off because uh, my first earliest encounter in 1974 is The Super Friends. And I'm going to tell you, I really, I never missed it. I watched it, but I was always semi-unfulfilled because it there wasn't a lot of action. And by action, I mean punching of the bad guys. It was more like moralistic tales and, um, you know, solve, you know, saving the planet from a terrible storm. Um, they had two, I've covered this. There was, there, there's an entire episode that I've done on, uh, on, on, on the, the, diversification and, and international heroes and so much so much of that came from the extension of the super friends cartoon which became the super friends comic which was actually as i cover in this podcast very well done very and, and a ton of international characters were introduced but marvin and wendy i believe were the names of the first like audience surrogates the teenage kids who we were supposed to see the teaming of Superman, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, and Aquaman through those eyes, the eyes of Wendy and, and, uh, and Marvin. And, and then, then the next time when they brought it back, cause it went away for a season, came back and they rebooted it with the wonder twins with Zan and Jaina form of, you know, ice form of whatever animal. And, uh, so, so, so even when the wonder twins came, I didn't think it was like that compelling, but I watched it. Because it was it was DC Comics superheroes. There wasn't a Marvel cartoon that I was aware of at the time, because uh, the 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 Spider Man uh, cartoon from the '60s I could see Monday through Friday on a UHF station. Which you know I was reading an article today about the 13 things that kids from the '70s don't miss, and I mentioned it in an earlier podcast about the rabbit ears and and holding the TV and and getting the the the, the channel to to stay you know, and not flip because sometimes the channels would flip and you had to kind of make it so that the, 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 that the screen would, you'd shake the TV and make sure that the, the screen stayed on the picture and it didn't start scrolling. Um, I know this is just crazy archaic stuff, but one thing you got to re- remember about the, the, the Saturday morning cartoons of, of the youth of, of, of mine and, and is there was no VCRs. There was not a VCR that was affordable to families in 1975, 1974 which is the Super Friends and uh, another really great live-action show that I recently took it upon myself to re-watch each season. And it was a show called The Land of the Lost. And this is, the, this, this is kind of the dominion of Sid and Marty Croft who uh, did Lidsville and they did H.R. Puffin stuff, which is a little before me, but I was catching them in repeats. But Land of the Lost... Uh, was really actually written by some um, very popular, uh, uh, you know, uh, Star Trek writers. I mean, having watched the entire first season of Land of the Lost, which debuted in the 74-75 season, and if you're not familiar with Land of the Lost, and and honestly, (laughs) hardcore fans go freaking crazy over the Will Ferrell comedy spoof. Um, It really offends them because they really wanted a big budget, serious take. But, you know, I I went knowing it was a goofy, you know, take and thought it was funny and loved how Will incorporated all the crazy, you know, you know, aspects of, of, of the, uh, of the show to, to, to kind of fit around his particular brand of, 
of of humor. But Land of the Lost is um, obviously it's if you watch it, you're gonna you're gonna see all the really bad green screen and and the and the uh, and and the questionable you know stop motion. But I mean they, they were doing the best they could for the time they could. But the uh, the thing that stood out about Land of the Lost is the uh, the the really strong screenplays and stories by writers like David Gerald Gerald and uh, later Walter Koenig. Yes, um, that that you know Walter Koenig and uh, really really amazing uh, you know contributions from 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 sci-fi writers who were really excited to give it a go and, uh, and, 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 and create this very exciting world. And it was a really, really fun, um, you know, mythology that they, that they, that they created in Land of the Lost. Because again, I'm, I'm, you know, watching this from the beginning now and evaluating it just on, just on the basis of the stories. Cause you really cannot on any level, you know, um, justify i mean it's 1974 saturday morning cartoon you know but but whether it was dc fontana walter koenig david gerald um uh uh, larry niven i mean these are big time sci-fi writers who had done star trek of the william shatner of the leonard nimoy live action star trek series they're now taking a crack at saturday morning cartoons and look the the cool thing in the second season they, they they in the early part of the second season of Land of the Lost, they really try and hone in on some of the mythology. But the first season of Land of the Lost is a perfect sci-fi, like uh, I mean, it even ends in a Mobius strip. And they tell you this is going to end in a Mobius strip. And there's, you know, if you if you're familiar with Land of the Lost, this Marshall, the the the, the Marshalls, and 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 the dad and, and his 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 uh, his son and daughter Will and Holly uh, go off over a waterfall. Turns out they went through a time portal. They land. They they. Uh, are in the land of the lost, which is not a prehistoric time period. It is literally the land of the lost, and they refer to it um, later on in the second season. There's a, there's an alien with a spacecraft that's 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 uh, crashed there. He's gone through the par- portal and he's parked there, and uh, I think his name is Zarn, and he wants desperately to get out of the land of the lost. And like Rick Marshall tells him, like you're not going to be able to get out of here. The land of the lost will never let you leave. They refer to the land of the lost as if, as if it's a character. Well, there's um, a, a, a creature, a species called the Slee Stack, which are actually very cool, and they were they were costumed seven foot guys who played in the NBA. I know one of them was Bill Lambeer, uh, who portrayed the Slee Stacks, and. Uh, and 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 there they were always a great visual. To this day, they are a great visual. And then there's an 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 uh, a ver- a a in a predecessor of the Slee Stacks who thinks he's an ancestor, but then finds out in his first big episode the reveal is that that he is actually in the future, not the past. And he's disheartened by the fact that the Slee Stacks have devolved into these kind of mindless violent creatures that 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 torment everybody in the land of the lost and uh so so enoch the altrusian he's kind of this genius and he can talk the rest of the slee stacks except for one that rick marshall meets in a pit as they're awaiting to be eaten by the slee stack god i mean come on you know you're compelled to watch this now holy crap if i if i listen to this i'm like at least i gotta google this but um again really solid acting by the dad he was a really good actor until he wanted a piece of the uh, light merchandise and 
and, and licensing because sure enough, uh, by the time Land of the Lost hit the second season, there were Land of the Lost coloring books, Land of the Lost lunch pails, thermoses, all manner of uh, uh, sticker books, uh, licensing bearing the likenesses of the actors who are in this live action Sid and Marty Croft show. And because, uh, <laughs> because I think his name's Spencer Milligan, because he uh, wanted to participate and felt like everybody in the cast should get cut, he got fired. And, uh, you know, uh, same old story, you know, actor, the actor in, 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 in franchise is told he is disposable. Yes. Yeah, Spencer Milligan. Um, and the cool thing is I had been, uh, Planet of the Apes had a live action TV show on Friday nights in the 1974 season. And, uh, when that was over, uh, you know, the, the, the cool thing was that when they let Spencer Milligan go and in the opening of season three, you find out that he fell through a portal and left his kids behind. But at the same time he did that, Uncle Jack comes through and Uncle Jack is played by Ron Harper, who was one of the, I think it's Virden, name was Virden on, uh, on the Planet of the Apes live action show. So I'm like, oh, sci-fi guy from Planet of the Apes is now sci-fi uncle in Land of the Lost. But again, three seasons, really great mythology. Got me excited every Saturday morning about sci-fi. It was always on in the... It was, it was it skewed a little earlier. But this was just the beginning of this age of live-action representation that also would include Shazam, Captain Marvel, which had a cool animated intro and then live-action with Billy Batson and... Uh, and 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 he would turn into a live action represent representation of Captain Marvel, and I thought as a kid he looked cool. There was two different actors that portrayed uh, the Captain Marvel. Again, I think one was difficult, and just like Darren on Bewitched. If if I'm dating myself, Bewitched is a uh, a show about you know a, a witch married to a human, and there were multiple Darrens because you know. One Darren becomes difficult and, and the next Darren moves in and he's the new Darren. Recasting was something that my generation was familiar with immediately. And uh, just like on Land of the Lost, dad's gone. Uncle Jack comes in to do the entirety of season three. In the meantime, over on the Captain the, the Shazam show, you've got uh, two different Captain Marvels across different seasons. The uh, They then did a show called Mighty Isis. And uh, that actor, Joanna Cameron, died uh, about six months ago, but she mesmerized a generation of young boys with her stunning beauty. She's just stunning. She's beautiful, charismatic. Uh, even before Linda Carter became Wonder Woman in in her ABC, you know, uh, uh, t television series, which started out as a series of television movies that then they, then they spun off into the, you know, TV show that ran several seasons. But um, Mighty Isis... And Shazam ran back to back and they were live action adventures. Now, they never, again, they never punched anybody. The big thing that you waited for every episode was for them to take flight. But, uh, you know, did I buy the Shazam comic as a result? I did. And I bought it because there was one to buy. They actually reissued. They, 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 they didn't call it Captain Marvel because the show was called Shazam. So they started putting out a monthly Shazam comic. They also put out a, an ISIS comic. And they both hung around. The Shazam was out much further, much longer. But I bought both comics, basic on the basis of their Saturday morning presence. And the Justice League comics that I was buying, of which there was an abundance of, and, and again they made a dedicated Super Friends title, which was more kid friendly. I bought them both because 
I loved seeing the Justice League, or as they called this formation of them, the, you know, the Super Friends, on Saturday morning television. But I'm going to tell you when it really dialed up, because like I said, the, 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 the Super Friends that I grew up with in the first couple seasons uh, was, was honestly, was, um, I, I wasn't thrilled with because they weren't really fighting. They weren't really, um, they, they, they weren't fighting a whole bunch of, uh, bad guys. There wasn't villains, but in the third season, I believe, I don't think it's the second. I think it was the third. It became the challenge of the super friends and they introduced the Legion of Doom and they had Solomon Grundy and Mr. Freeze and Brainiac and Lex Luthor in his purple, uh, you know, tunic with his jet pack and they, they had the Jester, they had Black Manta, they had Gorilla Grodd, they had Cheetah and they, they would rise. The Legion of Doom was met in, you know, their, their, their base was like a giant Darth Vader helmet. I think very purposefully. Uh, which would rise, you know, out of the swamp, and uh, and 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 now we had supervillains. You had an equal amount of supervillains to battle the super friends, who then expanded their roster, which had been for two seasons: Batman and Robin, Superman, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman, and then the Wonder Twins. But they included Hawkman. They included Green Lantern. They they really uh, Black Vulcan, who was kind of like Black Lightning and you wondered as a kid, why is that not Black Lightning? Did I not like Black Vulcan? No, I like Black Vulcan, but they had lightning. He had lightning powers like Black Lightning. So I didn't really understand, you know, why one wasn't swapped for the other. But bottom line, we got Black Vulcan. We got the Flash. We got Green Lantern. We, Hawkman, it expanded and became much more action oriented. Again, still not a ton of action, like, like violence, but you know, now you had Green Lantern who could blast his ring, you know, and, and, and maybe punch Brainiac off of a cloud, okay? And and then you had Hawkman who could swing his mace at, at Solomon Grundy who, who could then throw a log at, at Hawkman who would then, you know, swing his mace at the log and shatter the log. I mean, again, it was fisticuffs or <laughs> other than maybe a trip or, or maybe a slap fisticuffs, extended fist, choreographed action fisticuffs were, were seen as too violent for Saturday morning cartoons. But uh, the Super Friends continued. It became the Superpowers, the legend of the Superpowers, which then got Cyborg. And if you were a giant, crazy, you know, uh, uh, Teen Titans fan like I was, you were like, oh my gosh, we have Cyborg. You know, we have a representation of the Teen Titans. That's the first time. So when you go see Zack Snyder's Justice League, the Snyder, you know, Snyder cut, all that stuff. The inclusion of Cyborg uh, into the Justice League happened first on Saturday morning. It, it, Cyborg was part of the Super Friends, not the Teen Titans. And so, uh, you know, it was exciting to see a character that I love the most because, again, I, I just want to make no bones about it. Uh, the, the most exciting character, my favorite character in the Teen Titans was Vic Stone, was Cyborg. And so now he's in uh, heavy rotation on a uh, extended season of adventures on the Super Friends. So, you know, again, they kept expanding. They, they had Apache Chief who grew really large. Um, you know, they had Vulcan. Um, uh, just just all manner of really cool uh, characters that were populating the Super Friends, which made me more excited about seeking out uh, the, the, the Justice League comics and or the Super Friend comic. But that Super Friends was always on 
eight thirty, nine o'clock. The live action stuff always came a little later when 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 it was Shazam or ISIS. Land of the Lost, I remember a little earlier. But these were really exciting times. But that was just building blocks for what was to come later. More of the live action stuff and the best live action would come in the late seventies with Jason of Star Command, which was very Star Wars inspired. There is a cult kind of uh, actor who played the bad guy named Sid Haig, um, who you've seen in all manner of of, of um, horror films. But Jason of Star Command had um, had um, uh, Scotty, uh, you know, from from Star Trek in 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 a in a, in a uh, position of like an executive who who was um, Jason worked with Jason of Star Command. Um, it says uh, working within. A secretive section of Space Academy, a daring soldier of fortune named Jason, joins with his friends to combat the sinister forces that conspire to dominate the stars. Jason is aided on his missions by Commander Carnivan and Stone, computer expert Nicole, strong alien Samantha, eccentric scientist Dr. E.J. Parachute, and two uh, Parafoot, and two robots Peepo and the portable dub. W1K1. Together they face the evil machinations of Dragos, the self-proclaimed masters of the cosmos. For a Saturday morning cartoon, this was a huge step up for what they were doing on uh, Land of the Lost, but I'm holding it right here in my hands. Um, I dug it. It had space battles. It had spaceships. It had miniatures. Um, I, I, I'm actually seated next to you. I brought them all into my office. Uh, a mountain of these... Uh, you know, physical media, these DVDs, these Saturday morning cartoons that I've I've amassed over the years because one of those Saturday, one one of those uh, San, San Diego trips that I'm telling you about, uh, it was not 2008 or 2009. It was more like 2006. Uh, I had wandered over to a uh, a giant display and uh, that that was on the floor that was tons and tons. Of, of videos and so I was like well, well wait these all look really really familiar to me and uh, I forget the actual name of the booth but that is where I got my Isis you know I, I was able to relive my my childhood by buying Isis and Shazam and Jason of Star Command and let me tell you something I couldn't get home fast enough and uh, excuse myself from my parental responsibilities and my husband duties to be like, oh, I'm so glad everybody had a good time. I'm going to go over and crash and watch all these DVDs that I just bought of these shows that are no longer accessible. Um, I understand from some people that you can see the Land of the Lost episodes on YouTube, but I'm not sure how you see the Shazam stuff and the ISIS stuff, and maybe they are on YouTube. Maybe they're on HBO Max, and I haven't discovered them because of their ties to Warner Brothers. But at this point in time, this DVD uh, giant display, you know, booth uh, was became my nirvana of that San Diego. And, and, and I was so excited to be reacquainted with my youth and watch all this stuff. And again, I just, some of it's corny. I'm not going to sit here and sell you on the quality of Saturday morning live action, you know, uh, adventures, but but they were fun. They, 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 they engaged me. They, um, you know, uh, excited, stirred my imagination, which is, which is, you know, what, what you're, what you're listening. It, it's the dopamine hit I was desperate for. And if I didn't have enough comics, well, I got it again and again in the turn in, 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 
the form of these cartoons. And again, no VCR. You had to watch it live. You had to absorb it live. You had to remember it. Otherwise, it was gone. Star Trek itself had a, a cartoon series. Again, 1974, I, I believe, 75 series. And uh, I mean, the, 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 the packaging for this is badass. I have this, um, again, physical media. And, and, you, and it's in this really nice plastic case. And uh, it's got the... Uh, the, the, the box set in here of the Star Trek animated series. And again, I've watched these multiple times and, and flipped through all of, uh, all, all of these different episodes with, with, which had, you know, great, you know, voicing and, uh, and, 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 and so much of the cast interacting to expand Star Trek while the live action was gone. It lived on it as an animated show. And these are some really great, again, when you're drawing and creating stuff on paper and, Moving pictures, you can get away with a little more than the budget of a live-action show. Which, again, if you're going to do live-action on Saturday morning, I was amazed. Especially Jason and Command, one of the very best. But as the 70s rolled on and we got closer to the 80s, there was a version of Flash Gordon that appeared. I believe the channel was NBC. And it was made by Filmation. And I am telling you, I... You know you know what the good stuff is. This is, this is not... The super, the super friends was of a certain quality, okay, and uh, but 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 this Flash Gordon by by filmation was just astounding. Ming the Merciless, Flash, I mean the Hawkman, King Vulcan, um, you know Hans Zarkov, Dale Arden, uh, they Prince Baron, they'd never looked better, and 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 they used the rotoscoping uh, technique used in like the really expensive kind of, you know, Ralph Bashke animation. And the story behind the Saturday morning Flash Gordon was they had a script that they were going to make live action, which didn't get to go because Dino De Laurentiis beats them to the punch. And they don't go with that script. But they decided to animate that unrealized movie script and then break it up into all these different episodes. And then they expanded it because people really responded well to it. But this... Flash Gordon by Filmation is is absolutely uh, top top of the line in terms of animation sci-fi and again this is this is 1978 1979 and uh, this is in the swoon of everything that is going on with Star Wars at the time and believe you me when I tell you that people were absolutely freaking out about this stuff kids my age were were just this was this was. This, this was not to be missed. Now, this Flash Gordon also came with toys, coloring books, sticker books. And man, I would watch Flash Gordon and I would get worked into a lather. Like, oh my gosh. And please, mom, take me to the Toys R Us. And I couldn't afford an action figure because, you know, I had spent all on Star Wars figures. And it was like, but I love the way the animation and the drawings look. And there were several different Flash Gordon animated series coloring books. And so I would get those and get home and I wouldn't necessarily color them. I would try and draw the, you know, renditions of Flash and company again, because when you saw it and it was over and it was 10 o'clock and that 9.30 to 10 half hour had, had, had aired, you were done. You know, you wait until next week until you caught the next one, but there was no replaying it. There was no VCR. There was no DVR, not in 1978, not in my house, not anyone in my neighborhood, not any of the boys that I grew up with. I've mentioned before on the corner when I grew up, um, uh, we moved away from that awesome, you know, uh, four, four quadrant, you know, comic book, 
you know, intersection of Magnolia and Broadway. We moved in 1977 and to another neighborhood of which I had Eddie, Craig, Mike, Mondo, and another Mike. I had five other guy kids my age, exactly my age. And we played adventures and rode skateboards and rode bikes. And this was a magic time for me. But, you know, and we would watch the different cartoons and meet after noon, you know, on the street, on the sidewalk. We'd, you know, go to the other markets. We'd talk the cartoons that we were, um, you know, absorbing. But but that's how we would relive it. We certainly weren't inviting each other over to each other's house to watch them on VCR. The richest among us, because his parents owned a bunch of gas stations, was a kid named Mike. And so I'm telling you, if there was VCRs, Mike would have had one in every room. But so, so you had to watch this, absorb it. And so again, a coloring book with black and white line art of Flash and Prince Baron and, and Mongo. I mean, and, and Ming the Merciless. I mean, it just, it was, it was awesome. This is the kind of stuff that got you lathered up. But the pinnacle of my childhood youth, I, I have to give a shout out to the Herculoids, which predates me, but I saw in, um, in, in reruns, but the Herculoids was a product of Alex Toth. He of many comic books, but became really, um, well-versed in the, uh, in the animated world. But the Herculoids are just, just like batshit crazy awesome. It's like barbarians in space with monsters. I mean, you've got, you've got Xandor and Tara and their son Dorno and Zok the Flying Dragon, the powerful simian who looks like he's made of a rock, Igu, um, you know, the rhinoceros hybrid Tundro um, the, and the protoplasmic wonders Gloop and Gleep, okay? So I have this in my two-disc, 18-episode collection, the original animated series. Herculoids... Is, is like my number two most impressive, like, wow. But it wasn't on Saturday mornings when I was growing up. Again, it was one of those things that you would see occasionally in afternoon uh, reruns stripped, you know, Monday through Friday. So while it was born as a Saturday morning cartoon, I believe it was in the late 60s, early 70s, before I had awareness. Because again, 74 is where everything kind of starts coming into focus for me. And the cartoons and the TV shows. And, and so... uh but as everything was rolling, you know, you got Flash Gordon and then there was an excellent, outstanding Tarzan by Filmation um, that was, to me, my it's my favorite rendition of Tarzan. And it when when uh, when they put the uh, live action Tarzan out, I think like 2016, 2017, um, I forget the guy from True Blood, he's great, Skarsgård, they reissued um, out of the vaults these, 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 CBS, I watched it on CBS, uh, but the Tarzan, uh, you know, uh, filmation seasons, and I grabbed them immediately. They're so fantastic. But look, along the way during this period, to complement the Super Friends, Marvel got Fantastic Four on the air, but it wasn't with the Human Torch. And they've kind of retconned this, but what everyone understood at the time, because you're like, where's the Human Torch? The censors were so sensitive. They didn't want anybody um, lighting themselves on fire. Now, I'm going to shock you right now and I'm going to tell you that one of those people they should have been concerned about is me and I'm going to tell you why and I'm going to tell you a a story that my parents will both say that they bear witness to and my neighbors at the Anaheim and Broadway location would bear witness to and having a sandbox was key to this but you got to remember if you're a kid and you're growing up in the 70s 
one of the biggest things you were exposed to. Um, you could not escape the influence of the rock group Kiss. Yes, Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, you know, um, Peter Chris, Ace Freely, Kiss, okay? Now, when you're a pastor's kid, like I am, you can't get near that stuff, be, except unless you're Sherry Liefeld, who's seven years older, who's got all the Kiss A-tracks in her car. And <laughs> my parents were like, well, we won't parent Sherry because, you know, we that, that that's kind of an area that we, we, we no longer have control of, but we can parent Robbie. And Robbie, you don't go near that Kiss stuff and you don't bring those albums home and you don't listen to that stuff because, you know, the, the word around town was King Kiss stood for Kings in Satan's service, right? So can't be listening to them if you're a pastor's kid. But the thing that fascinated everybody with Gene Simmons and his, his portrayal of his demon character in Kiss was, as you have sure if you are even remotely familiar with kiss he would spit flame out of his mouth now with some you know discussion and investigation it was generally the older brothers of my sister of my own friends telling me and telling us um and and, and again every one of my friends uh, that i'd grown up with in church all had older brothers. I was the only one that was blessed, of course, blessed with an older sister. They all had older brothers that would kind of cue them into what was going on. And and it was like, you know, understood that Gene Simmons was squirting, you know, some sort of fuel, gasoline, whatever, out of, you know, a tube in his mouth or pockets of that he'd spit down on that would create the spray that he could then light, you know, the match from he'd have the flame on his guitar and blow the gasoline on it, which would then create the the flame breath. Okay. But also he would like light his hand on fire and hold flame. And somebody was like, well, he's doing that because he pours kerosene on his hand. Now what you're about to hear, do not imitate. This is the part of the podcast where I have to stop and say, don't do this at home. Okay. Don't do this at home. Um, so, so, so the, the, uh, the, the part of, <laughs> I really do have to issue this warning, especially like if you're listening to this with your kids while you're driving, do not attempt this at home. But little Robbie Liefeld was a pyromaniac. And so we always had lighter fluid out by our barbecue because, you know, men of the 70s wanted to fire up that barbecue, make brats and burgers. And well, I knew how kerosene worked and I loved it. And I saw that you sprayed a line of it and you could light it on, you know, light, light a match and it would, it would ignite and kind of linger. The flame would be there for a while. Well, I figured I'm going to give this a shot and uh, I'm going to do it though in my sandbox because if I do it in my sandbox, then I'll be okay because I can stop, drop and roll if the fire gets out of hand. Okay. So um, yes, 100% because this is going to be accompanied by the scream of my mom um, through the window. Uh, and yeah, they, they, they at this point they know that they have kind of a problematic um, pyromaniac on their, on their, on their, you know, uh, on their hands. And trust me, uh, I would then learn that if you could spray a raid can and light a match, it would become a flamethrower. And that became a new obsession post this. Uh, and, and uh, trust me, the minute someone showed me that with a magnifying glass, you could like burn dry grass. I mean, I was, I cannot tell you the fascination that I had with flame and I will not even go into why I tied trash, but plastic trash, glad bags, glad was the brand at the top of our rafters and lit them on fire only to hear the plastic, which would drop and make a laser sound go zoom, 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 zoom. Yeah. So I am very, uh, 
well-versed in fire. So sandbox, probably, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm nine years old, okay? This is right before we make our move. Nine or eight, youngest eight, oldest nine in the scenario because this is in my house on Broadway. And in the backyard, I had a very nice size, again, sandbox. I am standing in the center of the sandbox. I have taken the kerosene, the lighter fluid, and I have sprayed my entire hand, my entire eight-year-old, nine-year-old hand. I have the match. I light the fire. I My hand is on fire. And I don't think I've ever smiled so wide, so large in my entire life. My hand is just smoldering with flame and it's not burning me because it hasn't burned through the kerosene yet. And I'm so wowed by it that I go, okay, well, I, I, I'm kind of timing it in my head. I don't want it to burn my skin. And thank God it did not because I slapped my hand into the sandbox. I dropped to my knee and I patted it out. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm just getting the first, you know, remnants of peach fuzz on my arm, on my forearm, from my elbow to my, you know, my wrist. At eight years old, I'm not in full, you know, puberty mode, but I got I got the peach fuzz. I got blonde hair on my forearms. Well, I, again, Gene Simmons and, and Kiss is just all I can think of in these pyromaniac tricks. I then go, well, my hand was okay, so I can do a whole arm. And uh, I covered my forearm from my elbow to my wrist with kerosene and I then struck the match and lit my entire arm on fire and at that moment I was Johnny Storm I was the human torch my entire forearm is on fire I am holding a fiery arm and I'm about to extinguish it because I never get any burns from this because I coated it I mean I didn't just put a small coat of kerosene I'm like I can't I gotta at least have a little while to enjoy this which means it's got to burn through the kerosene before it burns my skin so um and if you're like wow rob you were dangerous yes i'm acknowledging right now this is not healthy what i was doing <laughs> is the indulgence of maybe an unstable you know eight nine year old but suffice it to say suffice to say my entire arm is in flame i am a real life johnny storm baby and then i hear a scream Robbie and my mom is looking out at me from the kitchen window watching her son whose arm is on fire she bolts around the counter of the kitchen opens the screen door I have already dropped completely into the sandbox and have extinguished my arm as well and I am smiling and I am laughing and I can't even hear my mom spanking my behind because I have ignited myself safe safely now I would love to tell you that it was the last time I did that it was just the last time my mom saw me do it and while I no longer had access to their kerosene I would later have access to the neighbor's kerosene but this was all fun and games but this is why the story I just told you is why I absolutely 100% without fail believe that the reason there was no human torch on the Fantastic Four 1978 cartoon is because how many Robbie Liefelds would have irresponsibly without this extra layer of, of lighter fluid, you know, would have lit themselves on fire to be the human torch. The, 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 the word was that the reason Herbie the robot, so it's Reed Richards, stretch guy, Invisible woman, invisible person, and 
you know, the thing made of rocks were now joined by a smart-ass little droid named Herbie. No Johnny Storm, no Human Torch anywhere to be found. The, the, the prevailing notion, I've used that now twice in this show, the, the understanding was that they didn't want people, little boys, little girls, to light themselves on fire. I have just extended to you why I believe that is true because I was already lighting myself on fire, okay? Safely, never burned. Um, not sure I should have shared this story with you, but glad I did. Um, and, 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 uh, you know, so, so, so the Fantastic Four cartoon, while it had Dr. Doom, while it had the Inhumans, it was always without the Human Torch because of the fire, you know. I mean, it's not like they could have, you know, maybe it started and ended each episode with, hey, kids, don't light yourself on fire. Um, but also it's like, don't fly up and expose yourself to cosmic rays. I mean, it's, at what point do you just go, the kid's got to be responsible. But, um, the, the, the pinnacle during this time. And then there was Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends in the early 80s, maybe 1980, 81, which put Firestar, a brand new character created, ex you know, specifically for the cartoon, which is not the first time because in 2000, uh, is, is it 2009, 2008, uh, or is it 2003? Yeah, about, yeah, 2003, they introduced X-23. If you are a fan of X-23, you should know this that she was created as part of the new X-Men animated series, not the 90s one, but the reboot. And that she lived as a cartoon character first, just like Harley Quinn was a cartoon character first before appearing in comics. Well, so was Firestar, who is now, I see, being voted on whether she's going to make it into the actual X-Men comic book. Well, here's the deal. Spider-Man and his amazing friends was fun. It was Iceman. It was Firestar. And I'm like, Iceman's an X-Men, okay? Um... So that was really interesting. That was really amazing. And it was, a, the animation was good, but it wasn't as, you know, it wasn't as compelling as what I'm about to mention, which is to me, the greatest cartoon of all space and time. Uh, it, 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 it is the undefeated champion. I, I'm telling you to this day, this is my favorite. It is Hanna-Barbera's exceptional Thundar the Barbarian. I've mentioned it a couple times, but you have not lived until you have seen these 21 exciting two-season worth of cartoons. Thundar and his friends, Ukla the Mock and Princess Ariel, uh, Thundar's magical sun sword, they are traversing an apocalyptic, an apocalyptic landscape. I mentioned the Hercules felt like space, you know, barbarians. These are truly a world that has um, been affected because the moon... Uh, kind of a chunk of the moon blew up. Now, if you go see Tom Cruise's Oblivion, as I did when I was in the theaters, I believe that's 2012, 2013, I don't know, somewhere so right right in that that area, 2011 is Oblivion. Um, Tom Cruise says that what happened to this world is because of it. there's a giant piece of the moon is missing. Well, that imagery is exactly taken from Thunder the Barbarian, which in the opening shows you that because the moon blew up and 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 a piece of it, you know, fractured that you know, earthquakes and floods took over the earth and changed our climate and careened us into madness and the great thing about you know, you watched Thunder and you're like, "Wait, what am I watching here? This is like space like futuristic Conan Ukla the monk is like a wookie. They 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 ride these kind of horse creatures. Um, Ariel, Princess Ariel is got magical powers, all manner of different villains that they battle, um, liberating slaves, battling mutants, beasts, wizards, thieves, robots. Y I mean, it was everything. 
I didn't know until I was reading my the Starlog magazines that I mentioned so many so so often that was so prevalent in the seventies was which was like everybody's go to touchstone sci fi fantasy bible came out once a month would always profile whatever shows, cartoons, movies were in production, Battlestar Galactica, Star Wars, Alien, E.T., Thunder of the Barbarian. And you saw the drawings, and it's like, oh my gosh, there's Jack Kirby. There's Jack Kirby designed um, all of the villains in the, the world. He was hired to create all of the nemesis. Alex Toth of the Hercule, Herculoids, also of you know multiple comic book you know, comic book fame. Um, Alex Toth had designed the three primary leads. I don't know why he didn't stay and do more, but it per- ter- turned out to be this perfect dichotomy. So don't get mistaken that Kirby, even though you may see Kirby drawing Thundar, Ukla, and Ariel in the like production art, because he they did ask Jack once Alex had left those, once Toth left those designs, they asked Jack to incorporate giant presentation pieces to sell it so that they could, you know, get it made. So Jack then takes the Toth character designs, draws them in his Jack Kirby style, which they fit perfectly, and then f- surrounds the entire world with all of his Jack Kirby mutants, wizards, robots, um, warriors, magicians, pirates. And it is just an absolute sci-fi post-apocalyptic blast. The Sun Sword is absolutely a different name for a lightsaber. It was a way to get a lightsaber into Thundar's hands. But how do you go wrong with Alex Toth on primary character design and Jack Kirby on everything else? You, you, you do not go wrong. You go every which way right that you possibly can. Thundar the Barbarian, if you can possibly, they've re-released it twice um, I have both uh, the, the the latest Blu-ray and the original uh, re-release or release on DVD that they did about ten years ago. Very exciting, uh, very thrilling. A couple, maybe a decade ago, they did some commemorative action figures. Uh, I forget the company that did them, but there is actually just a, an, an Ukla, a, a Thundar, and an Ariel figure that are available. They're extremely expensive. If you see them online, they're hundreds and hundreds of dollars because, again, they're decade old. They weren't a mass market. Um, enterprise, but they're 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 really nice. But uh, Thunder the Barbarian is my all time favorite cartoon. It just had everything. It had you know barbarians. It had you know a sorceress. It had a guy that reminded me of a Wookiee. It definitely was like Star Wars in an apocalyptic world, except they you know again robots, all different. I mean, cool the cool looking wizards. I mean, there was a dark side looking guy. I mean, Jack really put a lot of his Kirby-esque, um, you know, tropes into so many of the villains and it just worked. It's fun. It's great. It, you know, some of these cartoons you were, you were lucky to get, you know, nine, 10 episodes before they moved on, but this is a, you know, 21 episodes to four disc collection that I have. These are just some of what I believe paved the way, which for what would be and what would come, uh, which the, 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 X-Men animated series of 1992 that obviously um, just blew the culture away. And it was actually predated by a pilot called Pride of the X-Men as they, you know, they they scraped together enough money. But some of the people who went on to do the X-Men 92 series actually uh, were part of the Pride of the X-Men, which looks great. It had Dazzler in it. It had Kitty Pride. 
The only weird winky-dinky thing was Wolverine was an Australian for reasons we can only guess. I've heard it was because, you know, Crocodile Dundee was a thing and, and, and it was popular. Both the first Crocodile Dundee and the sequel had make oodles of money and people thought Australians were cool and there was Mad Max. Mel Gibson had portrayed Mad Max three times by that period. So perhaps that is the reasoning as to why uh, Wolverine was Australian and not Canadian in the pride of the X-Men pilot. And, you know, I, I, I am not of any knowledge on whether that aired. I remember a screening at WonderCon, uh, which was held in Oakland, California, uh, between 1989 and 1990, where they, you could go and see it. I caught the tail end of it. Um, at that point I'd seen it, I'd then later see it as a bootleg, but that was kind of the precursor. You have to wait three more years to get the X-Men animated series and all its magic. And it absolutely 100% delivered. You've got such amazing talents, such as the amazing, uh, Larry Houston, who, um, so I'm in the green room of the LA comic con a couple of years ago and I go to the green room so I can finish drawing a couple of commissions that I've, um, been, been, been asked to do. And, uh, while I am, uh, doing these commissions, I'm, I'm drawing a cable on a sketch cover and, uh, really gentle, sweet voice walks up behind me and says, I love that dude so much. That's why I put him in the show and your other buddy, you know, the reason you even see Deadpool at all in the X-Men animated series is, is, you know, because, because of me and, 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 and I was such a fan and I turn around and it is none other than Larry Houston, who was one of the producers on the X-Men animated series. Larry is extremely talented. He worked with other really talented um, comic book luminaries who had made their world move into animation, such as Rick Hoberg, such as Will Minio. Um, and they worked in conjunction with um, everybody to bring us the, you know, uh, X-Men animated series that we have come to know and love. And the, and the bottom line is that these guys were huge fans of the X-Men comic book and they weren't a couple of guys who had heard about it and wanted to fix it. They were absolutely, um, you know, uh, uh, huge fans of all the different storylines and they wanted to bring us, you know, the very best, uh, the very best version of the X-Men that they could. And of course, the, 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 the Fox had to be talked into it. They were reluctant. They thought it was dark. They thought the subject matter was too serious for kids. But we all know that none of that mattered because when the show finally got through, the fact that they were able to talk their way into you know convincing Fox to give them a chance and put this show on the air, it 100% just blew up and never looked back. Eric Lewald, so many other um, fantastic talents were, were behind bringing the X-Men animated series to life. Now, you, you have to understand, it's debuting in October of 1992. Image debuts in April 1992. So myself, Jim Lee, Wolf Portacio, we're not really around anymore. And, the, and, and at Marvel, we're, we've, we've had our last resonant X-Men works. Obviously, we burst through. We sold millions. X-Force, 5 million with Cable and Deadpool. X-Men with Wolverine and Storm, you know, 8 million and all those different covers. And But what we saw was Larry and his crew and Eric Lewald and Will Minio and Rick Hoberg, all these guys, they put together like Days of Future Past except with the modern lineup. You know, you had Jubilee. 
you had Jim's costumes on the X-Men. So it seemed very modern, but they were telling, you know, existing storylines. And, and, and you got to understand, I mean, realize from my perspective, I, I could not have been more shocked that Cable, my Cable, in all his badass pouch, you know, shoulder pad, cyborg arm, big giant, you know, vacuum cleaner, laser gun, makes his debut in season one in, in, in Slave Island. Cable, you know, wild man of Borneo appears and, and, and runs among them. And in the following seasons, I mean, The Cure, Time Fugitives Part 1, Time Fugitives Part 2, The End of Time, The Promise of Apocalypse, The Lazarus Chamber, The End of the Beginning. I mean, Cable became a, a supporting cast member and in giant episodes that would feature him, he was a supporting cast member because he wasn't a regular guy. But when he was, when he appeared, it was always about him. And Cable was not even two years old, okay? I mean, just two years in the comic books, but now a featured player, a featured star of the X-Men animated show. And it could not have been more 100% exciting for me to watch that and to see again the Jim Lee costumes come to life I mean this is my era our era but but they're doing classic burn Claremont days of future past the outstanding treatment of Dark Phoenix and look how could kids resist they were finally seeing what we loved you know and and the care and the passion and they worked with Bob Harris and they worked with the X-Men office to make sure that they were not going beyond the parameters of what had been, you know, established in the comic books. But Larry, to come up behind me, I mean, you know, this is 2019. I mean, it's 28, 27 years, you know, since the show was on the air and, and, and for Larry to come up, like I said, behind me and smooth, say that, that you know, uh, as I'm drawing cable on a sketch cover and say, you know, it's because I love that guy, you know, he appeared in so many episodes in Deadpool too, And, uh, you know, but, but to me, the success of the X-Men animated series, I mean, the animation was fantastic. It was a very different look. It wasn't as light as something like a super friends, which was, you know, not a lot of shadows. They, they, they couldn't do rendering cross hatching, but what they did is that very, uh, uh, concerted blend of cast shadows. I mean, black shadows under the neck, from the chin, on the neck, from the shoulders, on the on the on the biceps, under the chest, the stomach. They they really put a heavy. Uh, they they concentrated on shadows, and 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 used dropped a, a cast shadow. Obviously, as a a shadow that is being cast um, all over the different figures and 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 the environments to give them a darker but more solid look, a heavier line than we were used to. Great modeling on Cyclops and Wolverine and Rogue and Storm and everybody. Magneto, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Bishop, the Sentinels. It was uh, obviously ran for five seasons, became the number one show. And in in one of the making of animated series uh, books that have come out, they said that they were told by Fox when they were showed the numbers that based on the first couple seasons, 50% of the households who had TVs on on Saturday morning were watching the X-Men. 50% of TVs that were on on Saturday morning were tuned to the X-Men. So they had phenomenal success. And it was, uh, it was, it was, I, do I believe it helped sell more comic books? I do. And it was so fun to go, we're not there anymore doing this, but now we're watching the stories that we told, that we left behind, 
they're coming on Saturday morning television. And, you know, to see cable as often as we did. I mean, the, the, the only animated cells that I have, I have purchased about a dozen really great key shots across all of the different episodes that I mentioned of cable close-ups, figure shots, action shots, um, him and cannonball. Uh, I have all of these um, amazing cable uh, animated cells that, that, that represent, you know, uh, I mean, this is hand-painted uh, cell work. And, and like Larry has said in his interviews, you know, now nowadays there's so much that is done through computer, but this is before then. Just like I tell you about before VCRs and before smartphones and, and Wi-Fi. I mean, this is old school, you know, comic book animation. And Larry said that he and the guys, Will Minio and the other uh, uh, animators, would were, were chasing down as much anime as they possibly could at the time. And, 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 and inhaling that and, and wanting to um, do an American cartoon that, that reflected some of the best of what they loved about the Japanese animation, the anime that they were, you know, partaking in. So it was a great mix. That is, um, at that point in my life, I'm 25 years old. I'm getting up on Saturday mornings. Uh, like so many of you, I, I cannot miss the X-Men. I couldn't believe the quality of the stories. And, and again, translating so much of what made the comic book so electric, um, perhaps magnetic, you know, uh, 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 tongue firmly in cheek, sarcasm, you know, on point there, magnetic, electric, uh, with fans. And, and the reason we loved it so much is all of the different, you know, uh, relationships and, 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 uh, you know, Wolverine, you know, pining, you know, over Gene, Gene in love with, 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 with Scott, Scott kind of always prickly with Wolverine, Professor Xavier trying to hold it all together, all the different, you know, mysteries leaning so much into the time travel and the days of future past lore that, 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 that had really helped make that again, the dark Phoenix extended adaptation that they did the, the days of future past. Um, the representation representation of Cable. I mean, the book was modern. It re, it had classic storylines with the modern costumes, the modern lineups, and uh, it just it was riveting. As a, as as a as an adult male on Saturday mornings, I never missed it. Now, did I have a VCR by that time? Yes, but I what a pain in the ass. I just wanted to experience it live. Um, they then started really. They did a great job releasing volumes of them, and I bought all of those up and and got a you know, I was in storage the other day and I saw all of my various X-Men, uh, you know, VHS of the animated series across multiple seasons. So, um, that's about when I tap out. I didn't mention G.I. Joe, Thundercats, He-Man, any of that stuff, even though Thundar the Barbarian, the Alex Toth, Jack Kirby cartoon that I mentioned is widely seen as being a precursor and, and laying the groundwork for what would come with, with, with Mattel's He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Um, that stuff, so, so, you know, by 1981, 82, I'm, 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 I'm 15, I'm 14, I'm, I'm, you know, into girls, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I've got, I've got high school sports practices, sports uh, that I attend, I'm dating, I'm doing things with my friends, um, my, my, I've, I've mentioned it here before, my, my attention shifted away from cartoons, never left comic books behind, but the dedication to Saturday morning or cartoons in the afternoon, because I know you know, He-Man, uh, uh, Thundercats, G.I. Joe, that stuff was like, became Monday through Friday, the Turtles, um, 
you know, and, and again, when, when Fox was coming into prominence, so much of that, they started stripping the X-Men, you know, five days a week after those first initial seasons, it was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, they were giving you a heavy dose of the X-Men and you never missed out and you always dug it. But above, above all this, you know, what has replaced the Saturday morning cartoon? It's the Wednesday streaming shows that Disney Plus is giving us, that unite us all, that get us all, that light us all up. But mostly, what what where I really where it really resonates and it feels like I'm seven and eight and ten again is I want to go buy toys. I want to go buy coloring books. I want to go buy comic books that reflect. You know, I'm see I, I see I see all the different Star Wars characters coming together, coalescing. You know, and being brought together in Book of Boba Fett. It makes me go out to the garage and grab my Boba Fett figures. Open up my original Star Wars you know, toy case, wonder if I should go to the toy store and get some new figures and, and I mean, buy more comics. I mean, when I see Chris Hanton from, from the Darth Vader comics, I'm so excited, like so many of you that I have the first appearances and, uh, you know, I want to make sure they're in my, they're in really good Mylar bags, but it's just such seeing cartoons whether or live action like Land of the Lost or Jason of Star Command, which I've talked about, or the Shazam and the Isis, which really stoked me and got me buying Shazam and Isis and Super Friends buying Justice League. Saturday morning cartoons are powerful. They are a powerful part of my youth. They're a power, powerful part of your youth because you guys know that that X-Men cartoon turned into a Spider-Man cartoon. It turned into Fantastic Four. It turned into Iron Man. Um, Marvel really took animation by storm in the 90s. The only reason I even pursued doing a Youngblood cartoon of my own stuff was because I saw the satisfaction that was being, you know, created through this X-Men cartoon. So, uh, hope you enjoyed this walk down, you know, Saturday morning cartoons again for me to be able to bond now as a, as, as an older man with my adult children who have strong memories of their own Saturday morning cartoons and they're seeing, the, the fruits of that come alive on these Wednesday streaming shows and the promise of so much of what they grew up with validated now in a, on a different platform in live action. It's that same Saturday morning vibe. It's the exact same as my, as my uh, sister-in-law would say that dopamine that we all seek out so much. And, and maybe it's getting a like on Instagram or, or maybe it's getting a, a retweet, but, but for so many of us, it's, it's, it's Saturday morning cartoons. It's 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 Marvel shows. It's sharing that excitement. It's getting those toys. It's the toys of our youth that it, that are never leaving us because we're never growing up. <laughs> and I guess that's the that's the prevailing notion. But but it's 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 uh, comic books alone didn't form any of us. And I know so many of you because so many of you have you've you told me of your love of the X Men animated series. And the great news is that they announced this year, of course, that the X Men ninety seven. They're going to pick up and continue the series. And I know that everybody involved, Larry Houston's back, all of the key players, they're getting the actors back. Uh, it's a very exciting time. And that's going to hit Disney Plus, I think, in 2023. So that we'll definitely do a follow-up of sort. This is not the only time I'm going to be talking about the X-Men animated show. I'm going to do a further uh, uh, reflection on it, go deeper just on that show in a very uh, near upcoming episode, but today I just wanted to walk you through all of the ways that these superheroes and super characters, Flash Gordon, amazing animation. If you can look at the Flash Gordon filmation, do yourself a favor. You will totally and absolutely dig it. Um, but uh, th th this was really 75, 92, maybe for you it goes a little deeper, just a golden age 
of Saturday morning cartoons and adventures that uh, that I am forever and will uh, be forever forever grateful for. Oh my goodness! Just just talking about all those Saturday morning cartoons and that experience just uh, is so satisfying. I mean, all of the different uh, artists. Uh, creative talents, so many comic book, actual comic book legends, names uh, that, that were involved in creating and generating uh, the, the, these these cartoons, the characters that were featured over all those many years. And again, like I said, now it's it's Wednesday. It's these Wednesday drops that, that, that bring us the, the, the same kind of Saturday morning excitement. I mean, all that's missing is the big bowl of cereal, the Lucky Charms, the Fruit Loops, the, you know, the Captain Crunch, whatever was your, was your, you know, your poison. Uh, your, 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 your sugar fix as you, as you, uh, consumed all of these great cartoons. What a, what a great time really enjoyed walking, walking back all of those different cartoons, the evolution of the craft, how they, they really did get so much better. Again, Flash Gordon, Thundar, uh, just amazing, beautiful cartoons to look at. Just beautiful visuals, uh, just, just on par with some of my favorite comic books even. So, uh, again, we'll, 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 this won't be our first time. Uh, uh, doing this dance and, and, and it'll be upon us uh, again before you know it. At the end of every show, I read the reviews that you guys leave for us on the platforms that play the podcast and we need them. We need your reviews, your your rankings, your five stars, your word of mouth. These reviews are so helpful to us. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate them. We have a couple of great ones that I'm going to share with you today. Um, always honored that you guys take the time out to leave these for me. It is truly humbling and exciting and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, um, continue to, to read this, uh, read, read these at the end of every single, uh, every single episode. The, uh, this one is from Scott smiles, Scott smiles, writes, rub the blood five stars. Thank you so much for the gimme, gimme gimmick. This episode had so many meat and memories. I loved recounting the covers that I couldn't believe were being printed, holding them in my hands as a kid and wondering what's a die cut. Holofoil, my experience was your experience all the way up to Rub the Blood, which will live in infamy with me and my peer group. The ending sequence was so poignant, connecting the movie tickets and the sports giveaways. Your insights are always so spot on and and so much fun to listen to. Thank you for doing this podcast. It excites me to no end. Keep up the great work and know that I and many others will be there to hear all of the next episodes. Scott smiles. His uh, handle is ARP151, arp O N E F I V E O N E ARP one five one. It's Scott smiles. Thank you for that wonderful review. I, 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 again, I'm so, uh, so humbled that you guys take this time. The next is from fig studios. He writes great podcast from image founder gives us five stars. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want great storytelling and a very fun and interesting perspective from the guy, who created Image Comics. This is the podcast to listen to. Image Comics is the company formed by the seven hottest artists in the comics industry in the 90s that brought about creator-owned comics to the forefront, and it truly took the world by storm. News of the debut of Image Comics was everywhere when I was growing up. These guys created the idea of comic book artists as rock stars, which is, again, heavily needed since comic book artists are, and he puts all in caps, world builders. Eze and other celebrities flocking to comic stores to collect the same comics I was buying, and the level of excitement around comics during that time was beyond exciting. Rob brings a fresh, positive, fun take on his experiences at Comics Legend and looks forward to each and every episode as I draw and work on my art. Highly recommended, five out of five stars. This is from Fig Studios. 
we are going to continue to celebrate Image Comics all year long. The 30th anniversary is um, just just worth uh, uh, just revisiting every few weeks practically because I really just want to make this uh, commemorative and a special occasion. So thank you, Fig, for bringing this up. Thank you for the generous, generous review. Um, again, thank you to Fig. And, and, and thank you to Scott Smiles for those reviews. You guys, when you leave the reviews on the platforms, I read them here on the show at the end of every episode. I am all over social media. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld, the full Robert Liefeld. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Both of those have blue checks that tell you that it is really me. I mean, every single day I'm talking to you guys. I'm talking to somebody new. I'm listening to your ideas your fun comments. I'm trying to interact with you um, as often as I can. Those are the two platforms that 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 seem to get most of my time and my attention. So I appreciate you so much following me on Instagram, following me on Twitter, and spreading the word. We have a Facebook page for Rob Liefeld, Observations with Rob Liefeld. We have a page for that on Facebook. We set it up a few weeks back. Go join it. Uh, make comments. I will um, talk to you on that page for sure. I'm all over Facebook, all over social media. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm always, you know, some more lurking reading about stuff that I love, just like you guys, you know, sword and sorcery, sci-fi, comic books, artwork. It's so much fun. It's such a blast. Uh, I, I just, I just love this time where we can connect in the way that we are. Um, and, and, and I, th- I see that as the, po- the positive of social media. Uh, this is the time of the show. You know how it goes. We are going to commit to taking care of each other. You're going to take care of yourself. You're going to get that rest. You get that relaxation. You're going to um, look forward to when you're fully charged and and you're going to go out there and you're going to take the world by storm. I know you are. I know you are. And until that time, you're going to stay safe. And we will most certainly, absolutely talk again real soon. (laughs) 